0: This can-do podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry.
1: I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if old web is clear, can do. Can do this guy.
0: Jonathan Kinchin joined us earlier this season to talk about multiple big scores. Think let it ride on steroids. Multiple big scores that he's rolled up since he first got serious about horse racing in the wake of a $5 across-the-board bet on Giacomo. We talked about that. We talked about University of Texas football, the puzzle that is handicapping, his favorite track outside of the usual suspects, how we might attract new fans to our sport, and much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan, and I'm sure you will too. So joining us on the phone today via Skype is 2015 NHC tour champion Jonathan Kinchin. Jonathan is also the only person to, at the National Handicapping Championship, try that word again, take two tickets to the final table. So, you know, he's got some serious handicapping chops. And in fact, as we record this, Jonathan is in Las Vegas this week to compete in the 2020 National Handicapping Championship. Jonathan, so we appreciate you making time for us today. Thank you.
1: Oh not at all it's a it's a grind so anytime you can have a little built-in break uh it, it's always fun this this will be a much cheaper break than uh than the cracks table
0: <laughs> I, I was gonna say uh the breaks in Vegas are probably a little bit more entertaining but uh, as I said we really appreciate this so um Jonathan it's, it's interesting to me you went from in two thousand and five you were placing a five dollar wind placement show bet on Giacomo and then you here you are fourteen fifteen years later you're a commentator on fs1's saturday at the races and you are a full-time commentator on the saratoga meet for fs1 do you ever find yourself looking up and just wondering and ruminating how did i get here
1: that's really funny i was, I was with my girlfriend at dinner last night we kind of like had this conversation so uh it's fresh in my brain yeah you know um uh, i've always been a uh competitive person you know it was, mm-hmm. it was video games with my friends back in the day where you know, it, it would almost lead to fistfights in somebody's parents' living room. And and uh, and uh, when I was in college, I like, you know, before esports were popular, I played, you know, like the college football game and I like made it to the Vegas championship. And like that event just kind of sparked this thing in me where like, okay. I can do something I love if I work at it and it can be fun and I can be recognized for it and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and I just kind of fell in love with, with the gambling game. The idea that I can, I can give you one dollar and you'll give me four back, um, was something that I, I just kind of witnessed at, a, at an early age with my father who used to take me to Lone Star Park all the time. But the, the funny thing is my dad's a horrible horse player. I mean, <laughs> I mean the worst. In fact, I wouldn't even call him a horse player. If they had slot machines in Dallas, Texas, he would just do that, but since they don't, he goes to the racetrack and plays our address. I try to send him picks. I try to give him advice. I try to teach him just the most basic ways to do a little bit better. Yeah. And he just, he just, he's a better address guy when he looks up at the screen at whatever race is zero minutes to post. So, um, <laughs> I kind of fell in, fell in love with the puzzle, just kind of seeing, you know, being there and seeing guys with paper and computer and printouts. And, and I'll never forget. I saw a guy rolling in with like a rolling suitcase and I thought, damn, there's something to this. I just <laughs> right. got to figure out, uh, what it is. And, um, the thing that really kind of put me over the edge was that five across the board on Giacomo when I was in college. I drove over to Maynard Downs. Uh, my buddies were having a crawfish wow. boil, and I we drove over to Maynard Downs, which is no longer with us.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, R.I.P. Maynard Downs. And um, I bet I, – I, bet I had 100 bucks, and I bet a bunch of stuff with the – Alex and ran out of – and took the thing that I had left and bet five across the board on Giacomo because my dad's buddy told me that he liked the horse. I, it was nothing that I came up with. <laughs> Um, obviously hit for about 500, bought the keg beer that night and then bought, uh, three books on Amazon. Uh, Steve Vitowitz's uh, uh, betting with thoroughbreds, okay. Andy Byer, Byer on speed. And, um, what was the other one I bought? Uh, it was like maybe, uh, Tom Ansel maybe I think was the other oh, one Oh, sure. Bought. Yeah. And yeah. I just, yeah. So I, yeah. I just read those three and then, um, I was a, you know, $60 at the ATM guy for five years. When I went to the ATM, when I went to the track, I'd take sixty bucks out and see what happened. Um and then that all changed in two thousand ten with a big score in the in the Belmont Stakes with a eighty four thousand dollar pick four. So that's wow. kind of where it all started. And then, you know, obviously there's more steps to to get to where we got to, but that's the, that's probably the halfway point I'd say.
0: Okay. Well I think it's fair to say that your dad is just being stubborn at this point, right? If he's not making any picks, given the success that you've had, he's just being stubborn now, right?
1: Oh, he's proud. Don't get me wrong. He you know, he, uh you know, he, uh he'll text me and say, you know, you playing today, you play the pick six today or you, you know, whatever, you know, good luck. Get after him. You know, he, he knows that he knows that there's a better way to do it. Uh, I just, you know, at this point, like you mentioned, I, I, he's just not like he's just not uh, interested in, in, in figuring out what that way is. So,
0: you know, you use the word um, that I had actually I, I, when I prepare for these interviews, I always like to make some notes about the things I want to talk about. You used to wear values all the time in these interviews, and I wrote it down again for this one. It's called, it's the puzzle, right? Um, I think if you are not a person that likes puzzles, whether they be crossword puzzles or Sudoku or whatever, racing is probably going to be a little different. I, I think maybe not something that's going to appeal to you because there is this whole... It's the running lines, it's the breeding, it's the class, it's the times, it's it's all these factors, I, I you know, that you have to juggle. And, you know, I, I sometimes hear people say, well, I, I like to attack a race this way. And I think to myself, I think every race, you kind of have to attack a little differently, depending on what it, it is presented in the data you're looking at. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, no, I think you, you don't want to, you don't want to put yourself in a box in any way. Um, and I think that might have been a lesson I learned in my previous life, my previous career. I was a Texas high school football coach um, at the largest uh, high school in the state of Texas, Plano East. So, you know, pretty pretty high level Texas high school football. Yeah. And, um, and you know, that was one – you know, I was an offensive coach. And that was one of the things was attacking the defense and, and being able to, to zig when they zag and, and to not – you know, if you're a team that likes to run the inside zone but you're playing a team that's really good – at stopping the inside zone, you got to do something different. You right. can't just keep lining up and running into a wall. And 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 I think that that puzzle, um, is as well as other puzzles. It's just, it's always something that's kind of interested me when you when you can try to figure out a way to to uh, to to beat someone or beat something. It's very gratifying, you know. It's it's something that you can hold in your hand. It's tangible. You can feel when you're right, when you win, yeah. when you do well, and, and so. Uh, um you know that that was the thing i i fell in love with it was it was the puzzle and that's still the thing i i I love today is the puzzle um there's obviously a lot more pieces to the puzzle now yep uh with handicapping with horse playing and 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 then you know when you when you you know when you start to know more people and know more things there's there's puzzles that that, they become problematic you know i don't want to say anything specifically but like in the last let's say two months there was a grade one race where a horse uh by a very prominent trainer. The trainer told me he didn't like the horse. And it wasn't like a, it was a lot. He was shocked as well. Mm-hmm. And the horse won a, a really big race. And, and I, so that, that piece of that puzzle affected the way I played, yeah. but I'd rather have that information than not have it. Um, you know, it's just like a workout report. I want to know if a horse is working well. does it mean I'm going to bet all my money on the horse because he's working well. No, but I want to know, you know? Um, yeah. and so, I, I, you like you like you know the puzzles is the part that 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 I fell in love with the part that I love the most.
0: Well, I find uh, no, first of all, one, I think you probably like one of the same things I do is when you you hit a horse at a big number. Uh, one of the most enjoyable aspects is the look other people are giving you, like how did he come up? with <laughs> That's that's very rewarding in and of itself, I think. Right?
1: Oh yeah, you know, but uh, yes, yeah. and I have a, a good story about that actually too. But I but I also get the same satisfaction from singling a a, a four to five shot. Um, where other people are yeah. spread in a race and they're using, oh well, this one's first time so and so, this one, you know, and and you're just ice cold to a four to five shot. I, I still get that same satisfaction. But um, funny enough, I was I was hanging out at at the Pegasus recently, and uh, I was with a a group of guys. One guy that kind of knew racing, uh, actually one guy that really knew racing, and then a bunch of his friends that didn't really. And, you know, when I come to these circles, sometimes I get kind of, you know, people are like, oh, this is – he's a handicapper. He's a horse player. He did this. He did that. He's on Fox. And so there's this expectation that I'm going to, like, somehow give them nothing oh, but winners. okay. And it, obviously it never happens. I, yeah. I lose more than I win when it comes to races. I just – when I win, hopefully it pays for the times that I lost. Yeah. Um, in this uh, specific situation, I I gave Pink Sands with some confidence. And it was probably just because I would had four drinks. But I I did it with confidence. Usually I'm a little bit more like ah oh, well maybe because, could possibly, and I gave Pink Sands, and uh, and she won it five to one, and uh, and I mean it was like the greatest moment. Like, they thought I was like the smartest person in the room. And then I proceeded to give them four more losers, so I came right back down to earth. But it is you're right. When you when you can when you can kind of be right for that one moment, and people around you are like damn, how did you know that? It's uh it is very rewarding.
0: Well, and I, I think you made a good point. They're they equally celebratable, celebratable. That's the word, I guess. Is when you take a stand, like singling a four to five shot in a, in a multi race sequence or in a in a, uh, in a in a vertical bet, right? I mean, that's that that's something to take some pride in too. Because most people, um, and this is where bankrolls tend to go haywire. Well, and, and including myself, by the way, in pick threes and pick fours, I'll spread when I shouldn't. So taking a stand, that, that's something to be proud of too
1: four to five shots lose 60% of the time. So it's um, it's uh, it's it's always it's always, you know, we all have had those times where you singled Chad at Saratoga at four to five, you hit hit. the seven to one shot, you hit the 12 to one shot, you hit the three to one shot and you need Chad at four to five and he gets beat. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's when you can, it doesn't matter, man, this is a hard, hard game. It's a very tough game. And whenever you can be right, um, it's, it's something to be proud of, but I also think whenever you can be right, you, you have to make them pay for it, you know? Um, right, right.
0: That's a very good
1: point. You know, I always point. Tell, you know I tell people when you, when this is a tough game, when you have them against the ropes and you got to knock them down, you can't, you, you can't just try to go for the TKO or try to survive the round. You got to knock them down, uh, because they're going to knock you down a whole lot more, uh, in, in the rounds to come.
0: Well, uh, you know, just going back to data and the different points and the and the balancing act that you have to do, I find, uh, and, and I think you're you making a very good point there about when when it's in your favor, you got to take a big swing at it. I find when it's in my favor, it's because <clears throat> two or three different variable points of data have kind of come together for me, and maybe even more, three or four or five. Um, and, and I will tell you this, too, and maybe you've had this experience also. You know, I have friends that are obviously involved in the sport, and when they come up with the same horse, but they've used a different method than I have, that's like a huge go signal
1: Yeah, the problem with that, and I agree with you, I, I, I like when those stars align. The problem with it is in this day and age, um, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get three to five or four to five or even money for that horse. It's really, really hard to to get value on a horse that three different products point to or three different people point to, you know, and, 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 and even in the situation situation where it's one of those sneaky situations where you get a horse, you know, maybe the, oh. the horse goes on you it's
2: like a little five little. to one,
1: oh, but in reality, the horse should probably be six to one, but the horse is over bet, which is tough. Uh, but that's what turned me into such a multi-race player. I don't really bet to win. Um, okay. I, I, and I always tell people that, that if I, uh, if I can efficiently handle the other legs, then i can turn that 3 to 1 shot into a 10 to 1 shot if i can just efficiently handle the other rounds sure
0: race. yeah uh, that's and good that's what
1: to do. so you know you're more
0: of a multi-race player jonathan than a single race player but here you are at the NHC where you're only getting credit for win place how does that change what how you analyze the races
1: yeah, it's different. I mean, you know, to me, the NHC is more about and my biggest focus usually is is race selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know the exact number. but I think there's 68 races on Friday and uh, obviously seven of those or eight of those will be selected as mandatories. And then the other 10, you know, you have 10 optional. So you have to take whatever it is, about 55, 60, you know, almost 60 races and and try to pick 10 of those races to play in. Yeah. Now I can go through every race and look at a five five to one or above shot that I can make a case for. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, this horse improves and that that, that this one doesn't run and you, you, but now you have to you have to identify what races you're actually going to take those shots in, and and that's, that's really true. the hardest part. So one of the things that I do, and not to go too deep into the rabbit hole here, is I try to lay out the entire schedule in post time order, mm-hmm. and then I color code the races: green, I'm definitely going to play it; yellow, I'm going to play it if the price is right. And, uh, orange, I'd like to play it, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to because the horse I like is going to be entirely too short And red. is like not even wasting any time under no circumstances am I looking or playing the race. And so I have a count, I'll have a count at the end of today of what my, my race count is for Friday. If I have 10 green races, then I know those are the 10 races I'm going to play. It never works out that way. (laughs) So I have an idea of what races I want to select, what races I want to be in. And that way you don't end up with two optionals left with three races at Golden Gate. You don't ever look at Golden Gate. You got no opinion at Golden Gate. So um, that that's the biggest thing is, is race selection in this. And as far as like picking the horses, you, you know, know, I've played in enough two dollar win place contests to have to to kind of have an intuitive feel for it mm-hmm. of what horses you want to play at. I, I could try to put it in words, but it's more of just a feel you, you kind of develop. But you want to find vulnerable favorites. And then find horses that present value at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to find this six to five shot that you, that's coming off a long layoff and is, uh, you know, uh, is is a router that's running in a in a in a, in a sprint, sprint race yeah. as a comeback race. So yeah. you want to okay. So here's an opportunity. Let's try to fade this horse. Now where are we going to go? Now who's the second choice? Do you like this horse? Do you not? um, okay, now where can I find value outside of that? Oh, here's a six to one shot. He should get a good trip. He did all these things, right? Now that's completely different than how I look at a pick five sequence, Mm. right? If I'm looking at a pick five sequence, it's, am I singling the six to five that's coming back or am I completely tossing him and using the logical horses behind and I can, I have that safety net of being able to use three, four, five, six horses or whatever I want to do. So that's the hardest part, right? Is, is, is 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 really the game selection yeah and then kind of how you you know only being able to pick one horse you know we as horse players in this day and age we don't pick one horse you, you know right you, you, you right. use multiple yeah. horses in a in a leg of a pick four pick four pick five pick six you can if you're playing an exacta in that situation that i laid out about the the comeback horse you can play the the five to two shot the ten to one the eleven to one on top and then underneath, you can use the six to five and those other logical horses. So you can you're still casting a wide net. That's right. the one tricky part about this is there's no wide net.
0: Yeah, I, I find that you'll be in situations where, you know, you look up and, uh, you know, oh, I like that horse, too. I just didn't like him at that price, let's say, or, or I had to I could only pick one. Right. And and that, you know, I picked the other one. Um you know, you, you touched on the organizational factor for the NFC, and it's funny, I, I did the exact same thing when I went in 2018. I had all 68 whatever races it was laid out on a spreadsheet, and said really the same type of thing, green, yellow, and red. And, and I had actually already done some things where, you know, it's a short field, you're probably not going to get a price there. Um, it's a type of race that just, it just doesn't fit my eye, let's say, for whatever reason. Um, you know, you go through that, because you can't, I, I mean, I suppose there's people... But to try and dope out sixty-eight races, and that's only on day one, right? You still get day two, and hopefully day three. It's it's virtually impossible. So your organizational skills are really important.
1: No, that's to me. That's how, that's that's you know, like GI Joe said, that's more than half the battle to me. <laughs> I, I, um, that was the the hardest part um, for me to get used to. You know, the first year. The first year that I did that I had the the first year I played was the year that I had the two entries in the, at the final table. Mm-hmm. So like that you know and I had no experience or no idea what I was doing. I hadn't played in very many $2 win place contests. I just that was just that was just fear. I was I was so motivated by fear that I just I worked like an an un, like unbelievable amount and all the adrenaline kind of helped me get through it. The second year, I tried to work that hard when I was alive for the two million dollar bonus because I had won the tour, mm. and I was just mentally taxed because the adrenaline wasn't there. It was my second okay. time; I had had all that success throughout the year. Um, I, you know, I was so motivated by validation the first year, just validating myself mm. as like a horse player that should be here, and like so, all of those things kind of propelled me in that first one. You know, that, there's that saying when it comes to horses that you can try a sprinter long one time and they'll run well. But if you ever try them long again, they're like, hell no, that I'm not doing that again. Like you tricked me that time, but I'm yeah. not doing that again. And I think that's kind of what happened to me. And so I had to, I had to kind of change up my, the way I, I was going about things and work at a different pace. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I remember one of the biggest horses I hit that day and I had them on both entries was a cap horse on both entries is a turf sprinter. I was not planning on playing the race and I just kind of looked at it again because I was bored and I was like, Oh yeah, I don't know. I guess this horse could get the lead. And and then I used him and that horse ended up being a horse. that's like essentially changed my life. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't a well thought out plan situation. It was a last minute on the fly thing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to skin a cat.
0: What was the horse's name? I'm curious.
1: Oh geez. I should know that. It was the eight horse at Tampa. Okay. And, uh, uh, I don't remember the horse's name though, All right. and I'm actually pretty good at that. But he's he was a he was the eight horse at Tampa. Um, I can funny enough though, I can tell you that the thirteen horse was a horse that that was bet that flew that came from California and ran down the hill and had big numbers down the hill and and looked you know good races down the hill. Yeah. And they were betting him off of that, but you know if you play California yeah. racing, you know that six and a half plays more like a mile versus the five or five and a half.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, know, down, down the hills, uh, and I hope, by the way, that we'll see down the hill races again at some point, but down, down the hills is a completely different thing. I totally agree. So let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I'm, I'm not going to call you a young person anymore. I'll call you a younger person, but you, you re- referred to earlier the difficulty of this game. And, you know, in today's sports betting environment, I think people want instant gratification and and racing, you know, is, as you observed, is a puzzle. It's not quite instant gratification. So how do we attract this younger generation to the sport that we're going to need for the sport to thrive in the long term?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, actually, I actually call myself horse racing young. Where, horse racing, uh, I horse would agree.
0: Racing, yes. Race. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, horse racing, I'm young, I think, but uh, in other aspects of the world, I'm I got gray hair and I'm, 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 uh, I'm climbing up the ladder. So, (laughs) you know, I'm a big believer in in a few ideas that, that, that could help the game grow, especially from like a standpoint of like youth and, and, um, and I, I, I call on, on some good friends of mine at the thoroughbred idea foundation for some of the ideas they put out, uh, to kind of help move the game along their game, their ideas that, that I think are really, you know, pretty basic and, and, in, in nature, um, Mm -hmm. The first one is uh, our barrier to entry is is, is challenging. It's and the, the, yeah. the, 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 the learning curve, yeah the the, the cost of data, um, you know you can't if I wanted to if I wanted to bet, bet the basketball game tonight, I could get on I could get all these free stats and I could put them into a into an excel sheet and and play around with them for years and and, and come up with ideas and do whatever I want. You don't have that luxury. If you wanted to get the historical data of racing, I've got some friends that have their own uh, systems and things like that. It's you know, it's $12,000 to get caught up on all the old stuff, get uh, the, the, all, all the historical uh, information. So the barrier to entry, I think, is problematic. I, I think we need to do something about the cost of the data. There can always There's always a place for the premium products. There's always a place, yeah. place for Timeform yeah. US, for Formulator, for Stats Race Lens, for uh, the workout reports. For all those things, Uh, and even for those guys who are betting professionally, there's a way to charge them for that information if they're using it um, in a commercial setting. Mm -hmm. Whatever, there's a million different things you can do. But the idea that 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 you know, if I want to, the information that I'm going to use for the NHC for Friday, if I were to pay for all of it, I am thinking it would probably cost me um, you know like two hundred ish dollars probably um and and that's problematic so right. I think that's one thing the 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 barrier to entry is tough now not only are we going to charge you a ton uh for the information it's a challenging game that has high takeout and uh and the the value has been sucked out of the game by a lot of the computers and and I don't mean that in a negative way the computers are an important part of the game and I don't think they need to be eliminated or to be getting gotten rid of mm-hmm. i just think that that uh that that the, the 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 takeout being as high as it is and having to go against them is problematic. It makes it harder for the average player to survive. It makes it harder for people like my dad to recreationally go to the racetrack with a hundred bucks, bet his address, and and stick around. He he's gonna he's gonna make it about a race and a half less than uh, with the takeout that he's dealing with than if we were to kind of go to that quote unquote optimal takeout. So I think takeout and pricing is something we need to consider. We're we're the most expensive. Gambling game.
2: Right.
1: We're also the most complicated gambling game. You know, it, there's a lot. It, it's and there's a lot of barriers to the game. Um, that's the other thing. On a on a more simple note, um, you know, I, I think the racetrack experience probably needs to be modified a little bit. It's mm. uh, uh, the, the 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 you know, a lot of times the the money is being all the money is coming in through off track situations, so the on track experience isn't nearly as is prominent as it once was. Um, I think it's ridiculous that you know you got to pay for parking. I think it's ridiculous that yeah. that uh, a margarita is twenty two dollars. I think it's crazy that we we charge for admission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know wh- why not? I've had little silly ideas, but I mean, how much is a keg of natural light? And and how much is a sleeve of plastic cups? Yeah. Why can't you turn in? Why can't you turn in a losing ticket for a, a cup of natural light? You know, look, a twenty one year old would enjoy that. That's I, a, no that's a great idea actually. yeah
0: yeah 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 um
1: why why can't we why can't you you charge ten dollars or fifteen dollars for admission and then give a fifteen dollar voucher um, uh, to the person when they come in uh, that, that, that they can't they have to wager it at least once at least once I know that exists in the tote yeah um yeah. Used to get those in the mail all the time the little five dollar mystery wagers or whatever sure um mm-hmm. you know so get them involved let them let them bet the fifteen to show and take and, let them bet the fifteen to show, drink their free beer, cash out, and leave the racetrack up seventeen dollars with a smile on their face. They'll come back next week.
0: Exactly. Um, exactly.
1: Rather than rather than clipping the the the, the young mm. guy for hundred and twelve dollars because he had to pay for twenty five dollars a park, twenty two dollars for the margarita he had two of them, and then he lost he lost betting exact the boxes on on some guy on TV's picks. It, it, it's not a it's not a great experience for the young for the young person when they go to the casino, you know, and I mean this in the nicest way get wasted for free, sit there and play blackjack for two hours with a hundred bucks, and leave down twelve dollars and 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 uh, a lot of secondhand smoke, you know. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs>
1: it's just it's a, it's a much we're not doing it right. right? They'll still you know,
0: say they had a great time, by the way. They'll still say they had a great time then. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, the, and the other problem I think with it is, is that the problem with racing, we talked, I was, I, I spoke with, with Marshall Graham and, and Pat Cummings at the, uh, uh Arizona's racing symposium yep. um, a couple months ago. And, and one of the biggest themes we had was that, um, racing for whatever reason has created, it's created this monster where everyone in racing is simply trying to get their piece of the pie. And they have no interest in making the pie bigger because in the if they try to make the pie bigger, there's a chance that their piece is going to get smaller, smaller. Yeah. And, uh, and and so they're not willing to take that chance. Um, and, and, you could, and everyone everyone's guilty of it. horse players, everyone horse players, mm-hmm. racetrack operators, horsemen, trainers, jockeys, they're all into it for themselves. at the end of the day, and that's kind of how we got to this point where we're at, where we're a little bit fractured. So um, that's my that's my long version
0: uh, of, of of how we fix racing no 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 that's a, the, the, you raised some really good points in there i, I think racing is somewhat unique and for a lot of people their first experience is the most important they if they had a, a winner for that which was you know i think the case for a lot of us you have a a nice win your first time out you're you're going to want to go back um but uh you know a, a nice experience is like you said too if someone's there for the first time and they they just have a voucher and they bet it and they turn in for a beer they're still going to say that they had a good time, even if they didn't, even if even if they didn't win. And if they did win, then to your point, what the track is going to get is churn, which is what they want more than anything else, right? That money repeatedly coming through the windows.
1: Uh, at one hundred percent, I have a controversial opinion. I think the the roulette bet was a brilliant idea, and I think that it it was a it was a it was like a like a race. Uh, uh, it, it was a real real. Possibility to, to in, inject some some positive vibes and positive trends in racing, but it was priced so atrociously yes. that it was never going to it was never going to survive. If you if you price that at a five percent take, just like a sports bet, yep. suddenly it becomes a more attractive wager. More people, you know, more computers would play into it. Um, professional horse players would play into it. A lot of people would play into it. But the way that it was that it was laid out, no one played into it, so the pool never. Never developed, and then it ended up dying out. But that, you know that's but that's that that's the problem, though, right? So so why was it priced so poorly? Well, the racetracks will tell you. Well, we can't have a five percent takeout bet because it would cannibalize our other pools, mm-hmm. or the horsemen would be worried about that. Okay, well we can't also do that. We can't do the five percent because an ADW wouldn't take the bet because the ADWs have in their agreement that they get at least this much percent. So if we have a bet that's only this percent, then they don't get paid. They won't take it. Uh, we also have to pay the state the state. We're in California. We got to pay the state tax of this much. So if we pay them the, the, you know, we pay them X and then we, we give the horseman X, that's nothing for us. So it's all of these situations of like, everyone's just getting their piece. Everyone wants their piece and no one cares about making the pie bigger. And that's the problem. And, and I think if we would solve that, a lot of these other issues would, would to me kind of fall under that umbrella, right? Free data. Yeah. If, if Equibase and the (laughs) jockey club, weren't so in love with that line item and they were willing to part ways with that line item in their excel sheet in the in the hopes that it would grow handle and improve the game then then you know it kind of goes hand in hand right Right. the free beer the the -hmm. the voucher the free parking the cheaper drinks the all of these things everyone's just like no the racetrack it's a line item Concessions, they're not i can't that's that helps us keep our doors open um, and then, and then I don't want to pick on everyone else without saying horse players too. Okay. The idea that, that, that we have that, that horse players are going to get racetracks to do 2% takeout vets. It's not feasible. We mm-hmm. can't do that. It's not possible to keep the game alive. Everyone has to eat. So there has to, there's a happy medium and we're not finding it. So
0: what are you suggesting there with the, the horse players? What, what is it that horse players need to think differently about that?
1: Well, one of the things I think we do we do poorly as horse players is we love to complain, but mm-hmm. we don't really act, right? Um, you know, the Stronic 5, in my opinion, is the best wager available. It's a 12% takeout bet, uh, $1 minimum, which I think plays well. Mm-hmm. In, it, sounds, it sounds like it's not horse player friendly because it doesn't allow you to get more combinations. But it also, in my opinion, steers the computers away from that pool because they can't efficiently bet the combinations like they want to. When, the, the smaller the denomination, the more efficient they can be. The more efficient they can be, uh, the more that they they take all the meat off the bone from a payout when you actually do hit it. So I, I love the strong okay. five. Okay. Um, I don't feel like we support that bet enough as horse players. We complain about takeout. We complain about all these things. <laughs> we complain
2: about. Get, yeah. We
1: complain about the late odd shifts, but we don't. We don't. We don't reward the racetracks for giving us something that is horse player friendly. Um, the, you know, they had that two day pick six Belmont day where it was like that low takeout. I think I can't remember the exact parameters, maybe it was 20, 20% low takeout, mandatory payout, blah, 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 blah. And we don't support that, but yet
2: mm-hmm.
1: we have a bunch of horse players that are proving to the racetracks that we're quote unquote not price sensitive by playing these yeah. rainbow sixes with the uh oh. and these these rainbow bets and these jackpot wagers that seem to have. Um, so it seemingly has some negative effects on horse players.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I am. A, I'm. A, I'm sure uh, you're like me. I'm amazed by how much is bet into that Rainbow Six pool wherever on a daily basis, and I get angry when I read the tweets about it. it's a guaranteed three million dollar payout today. Well, it's only guaranteed if one ticket wins today. By the way, uh, so let's stop false advertising this thing too. Yeah, you
1: know, that's the thing I, I dislike about it the most, and I and I've shared that opinion with with friends that at various racetracks, Churchill, uh, Naira, Stronix. I understand why they do it. They do it because we keep coming back for it. Yeah. We reward them on – you know, and I'm guilty of it too. I, on those mandatory payout days, I'm coming with two fists. So I give them, give them that big number they're looking for, that $10 that million day, day yes. on a crap card, right? Yeah. And, 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 and I feel like I'm doing it because this is the system in which I'm at. And that's a positive expectation play for me as a player. And I'm supposed to be in that pool if, if I'm trying to do the, the best, you know, EV move for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's I understand why they do it because they, they bet we bet. them. I, I, I told all the powers that be um, that not to do the Empire six at Saratoga um, and their handle went up tremendously. So how, how do you argue that? Yeah. How do you how do you tell them? No, we're price-sensitive. Horse players are going to be mad. We're price-sensitive. We're price-sensitive. But then it goes up. And so it player yeah. education is something I think is really important and something we try to do on our podcast as much as we can is
2: to, mm-hmm.
1: is to, to inform players about about the goings-on and, and, and try to be educational and have these professional players on to, to kind of shed some light um, and let, you know, let players know that, they, that you know we're not doing a great job of standing up for ourselves and and getting a a
0: more favorable situation. No, it's interesting you say that. I've caught that a few times, too, on your television broadcast, the education about the rationale behind the bet being structured this way or playing this pool versus that pool. So that's a a really good point. Let's let's talk about TV for a second. How nervous were you the first time you ended up on TV talking about horse racing?
1: Dude, I mean, (laughs) look. The first time I did it, I was on for like ten minutes. Um, I was with Greg Wolf, and well, I mean, I had done like I had done like some uh, Breeders' Cup simulcast shows. Okay. Where you know I came on and and I just talked about the races. I didn't have to look at a rundown. I didn't have to know what was coming up next. I just answered questions. I was almost like a guest being interviewed. Okay. That's completely different, right? Yeah. That's completely different. You don't have an IFB in your ear with someone talking in your ear while you're talking and you know, and and having a time restraint and you don't have all of that. You don't have to look at the camera. You can just look to the person you're talking to. So those times were fine. It's still a little nerve wracking, but you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but fine. Um, The first time I did Saratoga live, it was kind of like my, you know, Tony asked me to, to, to to try it out. Yeah. I didn't have an IFB that day. That was just still fun and exciting. I was on TV at Saratoga. What the heck? That's crazy. And then the first time I did the show, like with an IFB in my ear was at Saratoga and I'm sorry, at Santa Anita for the Saturday at the Racing show. Okay. And that was like, a, that was like a kick in the face um, <laughs> because it's the most bizarre thing in the world. Talk to talk, you know, call your mom or your brother or your sister and tell them, you know, tell me a story. Yeah. And then while they're telling you a story, I want you to put the phone on mute and then tell someone else a completely different story while they're telling you a story in your ear. And it's like the most bizarre feeling thing in the world. So that was the hardest part I had to get used to. The second part is the way that I prepared a bet. Like if I'm playing in the BCBC with two $10,000 entries, Mm -hmm. the way that I prepared a bet for a $20,000 contest is significantly different than how you have to prepare for TV. Because if I don't like a horse in real life, then I just get to like – just hmm. scratch the horse out. I don't have to tell yep. anybody. Yep. But on TV, you have to you have to explain it. When when Andy Serling says he likes the seven, I can't just say, "Well, I don't."
2: Yeah. Right. I, have
1: to, right. I have to say, "Well, I don't like the seven because you know Gary Contessa is not great off the claim and yeah, yeah." You got to give reasons, and so you have to prepare completely differently. And then when you like a horse you know it could just be a horse you had a trip note on that you are like look got butchered last time should run well this time that's my note I can't say that on air I have to say you know you, you know Linda Rice is is uh is winning at 23% at the meet so far mm-hmm. um you know this horse is drawn to the outside the rail hasn't been great you have to give a lot of reasons so that was the hardest part to kind of get used to but towards the end of the summer and, uh, and then the the last thing I'll say about that is and they didn't do it by design. It was kind of an accident, but it was a blessing in disguise. I went to Oakland, maybe my fourth or fifth show by myself.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. And
1: doing a stand up, like doing a stand up on TV by yourself, is the most underrated, difficult thing you've ever seen. Like what Aaron Andrews and all those people do yeah. in the NFL, like, I never really respected it. It's hard, man, because you're just standing there. You've got no monitor to know like, when you're on, when you're not on. And it's very very tough and I froze the first show I ever did I didn't even watch it back I'm too embarrassed to watch it back they were throwing it to me in my ear mm-hmm. and I just words wouldn't wouldn't come out of my mouth I just I, I just froze like,
2: uh, 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 uh. Oh, so man. yeah
1: um that was that was my experience now I feel I don't play a professional or anything now but I don't I don't get nearly as worked up about it so
0: yeah I, <laughs> I was feeling you as you were talking about the experience at oakland because I was thinking to myself oh man I can my stomach was tightening as you were talking about it, really. I mean, you're there by yourself. They throw it to you. You know, you're on TV here, right? And you got to say something. And yet, uh, where's my support system? Where are the people, you know, just coaching me off stage, whatever. Uh, that, wow, that, wow. Had, that had here's,
1: here's the, here's the, here's the part about that. That really screwed me up is I'm a, I'm an iPad handicapper. I handicap off my okay. iPad pro. And, um, and that's what I always do. The first time I did the show, I was at the desk. I had my iPad right there on the desk, um, easy. But when I was doing that stand-up, I had the mic in my right hand and my iPad in my left hand, mm-hmm. and I was getting a pick five sequence. And so I needed to scroll, oh, scroll. from race one to the next race. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't have it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I had to bring the iPad up to where the mic was, and then scroll. Mm-hmm. It was the so that just threw me off even more. So. I, I switched to, uh, my buddy Greg Wolf called me after that show and said, Hey man, you should, you should try to put stuff on note cards.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, and, 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 and lose the iPad when you're doing stand ups by yourself. And that made all the difference in the world.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That's an interesting story. And that's, that's a good buddy reaching in and helping you out there too.
1: Oh yeah. He's, he's Greg, Greg Wolf and Lafitte Pinkai um, were, were, uh, instrumental in getting me comfortable they're such professionals and they are you know and they they gave me so they made me feel good man you're doing a great job like just having someone tell you you're doing good gives you, even if they're just telling you that it makes you feel much more comfortable and actually you actually do better because you feel like you're doing better
0: yeah yeah no no the lie is equally as important if it's a lie i agree i agree with you completely on that one yeah um hey uh Behind the scenes, what? Do we, well, I, you already talked about that, so I, I won't ask you that. But here, I'll, I'll switch gears a little bit more. Here, um, Texas barbecue, Carolina barbecue, or Tennessee? Barbecue?
1: Um, definitely Texas. I mean, obviously, uh, from the great okay. state, I, I have to say Texas. You got to say um, Carolina. So I've had Carolina a few times. I've had I've had Tennessee more because I've uh, my buddy Marshall Graham and, and Clay Sanders from Ten Strike Racing are there in Memphis, so I've right. I've had uh I don't know, maybe a handful of, of, of visits there. Theirs is a little um their brisket is not nearly as good as our brisket. Their pork is a little bit better than ours. Um but I'm not a huge barbecue fan in general. Okay. Uh I, I don't like going <laughs> I don't like going to restaurants where you smell like it when you leave <laughs> it throws me off. <laughs> The only one that I can only one that I I, I will uh, I can make an exception for is fajitas at a Mexican restaurant. I can okay. deal with that. Okay. Uh, but that like a, that obnoxious thing when people do it at sushi restaurants where they get the the stone and they put the meat on the stone and cook it drives me nuts.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you mentioned football. University of Texas football. Uh, how does UT get? I don't. I, I hesitate to use this word with you, but. How do they get relevant again in the world of college football? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's, it's weird. It, was, it was an interesting, It's an interesting uh, kind of storyline. You know, when I was there is when we were really good. I, and I graduated. I graduated. I walked across the stage in December, and Vince Young crossed the goal line in January. Right? So that, yeah. that was when I was there. I was there in the height yeah. of, of Texas football. And um, I think a couple of things happened. One is grass is not always greener. I think the idea that they ran Mac out when they ran Mac out was was probably a mistake. Um, uh, I'm a, I was a believer in what Mac Brown did and obviously the success he's had at North Carolina since returning is proof that he can still coach. Mm-hmm. I think what happened there is a couple of things. I think one is that we always recruited a certain type of kid and, uh, and, and, a, and a high character kid and, and a kid that, that uh, was a great football player but was also a great student and a great young man. Mm-hmm. And I think that that Vince brought a looseness to the the team and the organization that like really worked because he was just that special. Mm-hmm. But I think it let I think Mac might have let his guard down a little bit on letting kind of the uh, the the uh, potentially more troublesome kids into the program. Mm-hmm. They're really talented. Yeah, <laughs> I know that we can we can work it out because we did it with we, we did it with Vince and with Cedric mm-hmm. Benson and Ramon Taylor and all these other. Guys, mm-hmm. and, and so I think they felt like it was going to work, and, and unfortunately, I mean they opened the doors a little bit too much and kind of got a couple of bad apples. Um, so I think that was the first problem. The second problem was is that quarterback is important, and they missed on quarterback about three or four times in a row. Right, okay. uh, Gilbert didn't work out. Uh, Jevin Snead, who who recently tragically passed away, didn't work out. Um uh you know, they got spun really late for that kid, that Ryan Perilou kid who went went to LSU that he didn't work out either. So there's a lot of different situations when it came to quarterback that they just kind of failed. And then they in a in a league like the Big Twelve, they just weren't they weren't relevant. Yeah.
2: Um
1: I thought Charlie Strong was making a lot of good moves in terms of kind of you know repairing the character. Um I think Tom Herman has has done a great job in in kind of getting us back relevant for, for a year with when we beat Georgia. And then this year we kind of had our lulls, you know, obviously playing LSU as close as we did mm-hmm. and then winning the, the, the Alamo bowl against uh, Utah. I thought was big too. I, look, I, I think what has to happen is we just have to have a consistent year, a consistent yeah. year. Where we don't lose the team like Iowa state, Kansas um, team, you know, situations like that. And, and just, you know, meet a couple of special players who kind of can turn things around. And I think that, that Texas can get right back on the map. Cause if you've ever been to Austin, if you've ever been to campus, if you've ever been in the facilities, it's inexcusable for us not to be one of the top programs in the country all the
0: time. I agree, Austin is a great city. I agree with you completely on that one, sure. Um I'll tell you a quick uh funny, very funny, at least I find I always find it funny, uh Vince Young story. Um the year not the not the USC year, but the year before when they played Michigan at the Rose Bowl, for uh Christmas that year, I had bought myself my first HD TV, right? Um set the thing up. And I'm excited about watching college football on this thing. But as I'm watching it, uh, the TV, kind of leading up to the New Year's Day, I'm like, this thing is okay. I don't really see what's so great about it. And, and in retrospect, I was probably watching just like Seinfeld or whatever, you know what I mean? And nothing that um, would have the impact of HDO sports. And, and I always remember, I, I actually called my younger brother on this. I became a huge believer in HDTV. When Vince Young ran right into my living room, scoring the winning touchdown uh, in the corner against Michigan, there I, I was. I, I I was blown back in my chair by that one.
1: Uh, I, I have a funny story about that game as well. I was um, I had a friend who played football at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I had a, my roommate played at Texas. He was a fullback okay. uh, at, at Texas, and so um, when that year I had a choice. To go to the national championship game in Florida, where in Miami, where it was uh, undefeated USC and undefeated Oklahoma, mm-hmm. or to go to the Rose Bowl with Vince Young and Michigan when when they kicked the field goal to win. And I made the choice, obviously, to go to the game that was over in the first quarter, uh, which was the USC, <laughs> USC and, Oklahoma. <laughs> and, uh, and Oklahoma game. Yeah, and uh, that that was a that was a regret that I'll still have. Did, well, the bigger regret was I was in LA the morning. Of the USC Texas game, and for whatever reason, my friend had a ticket, and I was like, "Nah, I'm gonna just go home." And I got on a plane, I flew home, and I watched it on my couch when I could have been there. Oh wow, wow! I don't know why I did it. I still don't know why I. Did I don't it. know
0: why you did it either. <laughs> I,
1: I, I'm, I'm blaming it on my on my girlfriend, then now ex wife, even <laughs> though she wasn't stressing me to come home, but I just like blaming things on her.
0: <laughs> well. Uh, so I'll leave you with one final question, Jonathan, uh, outside of the usual suspect, Keeneland, Saratoga, Santa Anita, what's your favorite racetrack? Would you, let, let me just, what's your favorite small
1: racetrack? Ooh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm going to answer, I'm going to kind of like repeat your question while I think about it. Okay. The, uh, Saratoga, Keeneland, Del Mar, Santa Anita. Those are just like, those are my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sanity was like my favorite for the longest time. And then I found Saratoga and then I found Keeneland. They're, they're all my kind of my 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, just for different reasons. Those are, 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 are my favorite racetracks. Um, I, I want to call Oaklawn a major, so I, I won't use Oaklawn as a as another example of a, of a okay, racetrack that, uh, that I like. Um, I tell you what, I, it's gone now, but uh, the racetrack that I think of that's small, it really means the most to me mm-hmm. is, is, is probably Manor Downs. Okay. It was, uh, you know, it was, uh, and I have one more too, that's, that's obscure too, but Manor Downs was this place where, you know, it was, it, you know, tickets all over the floor. It's where I learned, um, to smooch at a horse. Uh, oh, you know, okay. obviously all yeah. pop- we have a, a big max yeah. population and in uh in texas and i'll never forget this guy he he had his cowboy hat on and his boots and his sunday best and he was uh he was drinking the the two dollar dos equis just like i was and he was uh smooching at the number two horse and that's when i kind of fell in love with like race calling and like calling in a horse and you know whether you're a roll up the drf and slap it on your hand guy or a snapping guy or whatever i really kind of <laughs> fe- fell in love Great. Like how you root a horse home, and so that yeah. took place at Maynard Downs, and then an obscure racetrack that I bet people don't know that I've been to probably more than any other racetrack. Mm-hmm. It, well, not Sar- not Saratoga because I went there forty days last summer, but um, Fawner Park. Oh, Grand sure. Island, yeah. Go my, ahead. Uh, my my ex wife, her family's from Grand Island, and we used to go to Grand Island for Christmas, Fourth of July and then usually just some other random time and her grandfather used to like to go to the racetrack. So I would go with him to, to Foner park and we would sit in this, uh, low ceiling, ugly carpet, analog TV. Uh, I, 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 bet a pick four one time that was like 300 bucks and the lady said, are you sure you want to do this? Like it was, it was, uh, that was a special, special place in my memory of, of, of horse racing. So, um, a lot of fun a lot of fun
0: at fauna park you know uh, i'll give you a quick fauna park story i i have tried to wean myself out of just betting races you know based on sight or quick impressions and things like that because it's, it's a long-term losing strategy but i had tvg on one day and they <clears throat> the race was coming up from fauna park and they were showing the post parade and the warm-up and the track was very sloppy that day <clears throat> and i'm watching this one horse and he's just skipping around the track he, he's light on his feet he clearly has no problem with the surface at all and they flashed the odds up it's 20 to one and i said well look that horse looks like he's enjoying it as much as anybody i have no idea what his form is like or anything like that but i'm gonna bet this horse and sure enough he he took the lead out of the gate and never looked back and, and so uh I, I have good memories of funer park myself i don't think i've ever betted other than that one time but that, that was that was a good time
1: yeah that's that's a that's a ton that's a ton of fun i went to kentucky downs for the first time this year i enjoyed that it's a really okay. interesting place um i know they're doing a lot they're making a lot of changes there but it's a really kind of a cool uh uh picnic vibe it reminds me of all my dad's like company picnics and like in the summer you know it was, it was uh that was uh, that was a lot of fun little a little, too, so I, a little
0: out of the way but i've heard from a lot of people it's a, it's a good thing
1: absolutely yeah it's, it was it was really fun i enjoyed it, it, it i think it'd be really fun like you know take your family picnic type of deal you know it kind of works out Um, pretty good for that
0: join us next week for another fascinating guest on can't do and in the meantime may the horse be with you